Today on Go Chuck Yourself, we're talking Chuck versus Agent X. Screw you, Professor Xavier. No, no, Aaron, I said Agent X. I know who you said. That's right, we're talking season four, episode 22. It's Chuck versus that old Agent X. He's a wily one. Hello, my name is Chris Gillespie. My name is Aaron Arata. All right, let's get it out of the way, Aaron. Do you think Chuck will introduce the X-Men into the MCU? What do you think? Okay, so this is actually something that's been on my mind recently mm-hmm. because like you, I have been watching WandaVision and we've been discussing whether what Wanda is doing is going to create the mutants in like... in the Marvel Universe and then, like, introduce them. Mm -hmm. So I think the answer to your question is yes. I do think that... Well, it's really interesting. We're going to be talking about who this Agent X is. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's definitely room for, like, this older British man to kind of, like, take up this role of, like... And Chuck's kind of like a mutant, right? Yeah, kind of, I guess. He kind of has, like, a mutant power. (laughs) Jeff is definitely, like, Jeff has ESP, so he's kind of like the Jean Grey type. Kind of like a Jean Grey combined with Beast in terms of hairiness. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess it sounds like Chuck could be uh, setting up the X-Men. Okay, so let's play this this out. Okay. Chuck, okay, which X-Men is which? So Agent X is going to be Charles Xavier. All right. Um, Okay, so Chuck... Uh, he's not really, I mean, he's hairy, but I don't really think he's a Wolverine. No. He's, I don't really know that he's, like, a Scott, either. He's kind of, who's, like, the idealist, like, X, X-Man or woman? I don't know, I'm not super familiar with the X-Men. Could be, could be Iceman. <laughs> Alright, he could be Iceman. He could be Angel. Um. He could be Angel. Because Morgan, so, because I know Wolverine traditionally... And the comics was always kind of shorter and hairier. And then there was uh-huh. a whole controversy okay. when they mm-hmm. cast Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. So Morgan could potentially be Wolverine. Okay, um, I, I can see that. Sarah could have sort of like the, I mean, she doesn't have any psychic powers, but she's kind of like Jean Grey, sort of, right? She's kind of like Jean Grey. I could also see her as like a rogue type. Mm-hmm. I could, I mean, I could see her with the hair. And there's also like, she's kind of cagey. Like, yeah, she's kind of can't get close to anybody. That's kind of like a rogue thing. When she put on her black wig, that was kind of like when Jean Grey does her phoenix or when she ah, turns yes. into a phoenix. Ah, yes, okay, that's fair. I just, I really hope that whatever Disney does with the MCU and the mutants, I hope they cover that phoenix plot line. Because I feel like there have not been enough X-Men movies covering what Jean Grey and the phoenix power. Yeah, it's actually like very... It's, it's not something that they've really explored. And no. it's something that I'm really interested in. And I don't think I've gotten enough content like explaining what's going on. Right, exactly. I just want Who is know. the Phoenix? I what? don't know who that is. How does the power corrupt ultimately? What? How does it change Jean Grey's life? How does it affect her relationship with Cyclops and the other mutants? What? No one... It just seems like such a rich area for the producers of comic movies to explore, specifically with the X-Men, that... I think Disney would be foolish not to do at least um, anywhere between three to five movies about the, the Phoenix plotline. I also think that, like, 
Wolverine going to Japan is a good idea that I don't really think anybody's ever uh, explored before. Sure, yeah. Why don't... But why stop at Japan? Why don't we send Wolverine on a trip across the world and kind of have it be like, where in the world is Carmen Sandy Wolverine? It could be like an animated Netflix series for children. Uh, yeah. But like also like brutal. Like he does kill people <laughs> with his knife fingers, but it's for kids. You could be like, here in France, kids, they say bonjour to say hello to one another and then decapitate a mime or something with his Yeah, exactly. His that's that's great. We're we're on we should well, as as you know, a couple episodes ago, we did talk to Bob Weiss, the head of Imagineering, <laughs> and I think he can maybe introduce us to the head of children's programming. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, and we did. We are proud to announce that we did receive um, a whopping hundred and fifty dollars from Disney for our idea for how to revamp the uh, Navi River Boat Ride Tour uh, yes. at Pandora World. I'm so. honestly very proud. That's seventy five dollars for each of us. That's yeah. that's no chump change, especially coming from Disney. So no, absolutely not. So when it is safe again, I would not advise you to go to Disney now, even though it is open. Um, don't go now. But when it is safe again, please go ride the revamped Navi River Boat Ride, featuring Machine Gun Kelly, the hologram of Robert Kardashian, um, and a, chess, Artif- a chess game, sentient chess game, and Sigourney Weaver. Disney World is open, but it's not safe to go to Disney World. Are you asking me? No, I'm just thinking that this might be my only chance to go do the flight of passage in Pandora World. Oh, I think the line is still pretty crazy. (laughs) You think it's still a four hour line? Yeah, 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 I do. (laughs) I think everybody else is thinking that, too. Well, as far as I can tell, the fact that it is not particularly safe has not really deterred anyone from going. It is just um, not 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 that safe. Because this could be my only time, um, listeners, you may be familiar with the fact that uh, almost a year ago I had COVID-19. Oh, that's true. I still have the antibodies, so Uh allegedly I can't get the old form of COVID. I don't know about these new variants or what the deal is. Mm -hmm. So this might be my only chance to do those, like to do the flight of passage and to do the new Star Wars world. Like, I'm never going to be able to go to Star Wars world. like I support you, know? you specifically in going. No one, I don't support <laughs> anyone else, but you specifically, I give a pass to. But then, if there's still lines for things and you have to like social distance, so are there going to be like lines going out to the parking lot because everyone's six feet away and there's like I was thinking about that, and also I don't know what their like individual like cleaning procedures are after each person rides the ride, so it might end uh-huh. up being a longer wait if they have to like clean everything individually. You just have to sit in your hotel room and then you'll get a phone call for when you can go on Space Mountain. Honestly, that would be okay with me. I think that's a good system. That's a good system. That's another idea we should pitch to them. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, Once we cover Chuck versus Agent X in all of its uh, X-rated glory. No, I'm just kidding. It's not X-rated. It's not. Okay, that would be- but when I was watching it, it did give me a warning for nudity. Um, so I was, I was looking ah. for that. Um, nudity, drug references, <laughs> foul language, which someone does say bastard, so that uh, mm. that makes sense. Um, and I think that was it. Maybe alcohol use as well. Since I watch on the DVD, they don't give me any kind of content warnings, so mm. I never know what I'm getting into. I just, when someone said bastard, I was just like, whoa! Who? <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> and then there was illusion, like, drug references. I was yep. like, what are you talking, what is this? 
This isn't the truck that I support. Uh, if only they told me ahead of time. You're like that reviewer who, like, said, I'm never watching this show with my children again. Yeah, it's filth. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, I don't know. I guess there's a certain argument to be made that they're not yeah. wrong in some episodes. <laughs> Partially in this episode, I guess. Yep. All right. Well, let's get into it. So we open on a CIA storage facility in Provo, Utah. A really beautiful agent type woman who we find out is named Jasmine is scanning through a bunch of file boxes when she's stopped by a guard. The guard demands to know who she is, since she shouldn't be there, but she flirts with him and uses her womanly appeals and also a badge to prove that she should in fact be there. The guard agrees, but mostly he's just staring at her chest, and wouldn't you know it, we're treated to a nice little shot down her shirt as well. There's the nudity. Hooray! Also nice is the fact that Jasmine then knocks the guy out and beckons in her partner in crime. Who is it? It's Riley the Ghost Man! He's back! Riley the Ghost Man, coming to help Volokov in episodes that Volokov's not in himself. That was, that was really nice. Well, they can't afford Ray Wise and Timothy Dalton. Come on, Chris. So they open a box that's apparently about Steven's laptop, and there's some sort of tracking device in it. I was very unclear on why the CIA had this. It just kind of seems like a bad idea. It seemed very convenient to me. I was like, ah, yes, thank God there's an item here that can find the exact location of the laptop. That will save us a lot of, you know, storytelling or figuring out how to get these characters there. Thank God for this thing. You know, who else finds it very convenient is Jasmine, who says that it was a little too easy and the CIA must be being a lot more careful with the actual laptop, wherever it may be. We cut to Ellie spilling a bunch of Chinese food onto the laptop, which I actually thought was a pretty good gag. While Devin comes down the stairs with a suitcase. Apparently, this is the Bachelor Bachelorette Party episode, and Devin planned a trip to Vegas with Chuck. He asks Ellie if she should be getting ready for the party she planned for Sarah, some sort of girl's day trip, but Ellie is just getting a little bit of laptop work in before she heads off. Apparently, she's found a picture of an old house on the computer, and all her dad's research loops back around to that. So whatever it is, it has something to do with Agent X. We're then treated to Kesha's song, um, Blow. <laughs> Which I believe was um, a, a new release around this point. I think that Kesha mm-hmm. was popular, but had maybe a little bit less of the fame and notoriety that she has now. But now, like watching it now, I was very excited to hear it because like Kesha isn't in a lot of TV nowadays. So it was just kind of cool. Remembering the old days. But they used this song like three or four times. Yes, they, they do. They got the rights for it. Might as well use it as much as you can. Exactly. So it's playing in this case as Jeff and Lester walk into the Buy More in, like, I guess what they decided is bachelor party wear. We learn that Chuck's bachelor party guests include, in addition to Devin, Jeff, Lester, Casey, Morgan, and Big Mike. I guess that's the extent of the men that Chuck knows. Is that, like, can you think of anybody else he could have invited? No, I guess not. I guess that is, the as far as we know, those are all of the men that he knows, aside yeah. from... Whoever was invited to that crazy engagement party that they had <laughs> yeah, a few weeks ago. I, I don't know who else they could have included. Yeah, well, I was thinking about it and I was like thinking of other male characters and I was like, the only one I could think of was Shaw. And obviously he's not going to That would be kind of cool, though. He's not getting an invite. I mean, he could have. they could have invited Fernando or Skip Johnson. They could have invited either of them. They could have invited uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh-huh. Got him out of jail for that. Um, they could have invited um, Corey, whatever. Whoever, whatever his name is, the, the the Ben, Ben, whatever his name is, you know, married to Nicole Richie. 
Oh yeah, uh, Ben Savage. Ben Savage, yeah. Is is he Corey? Is he a Corey on something? And Boy Meets World. Is is that who he is? Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Um, I kind of thought like the gag with Jeff and Lester walking in was going to end with them being like, no, you're not invited to this. Why would we invite you? But apparently Mm -hmm. Chuck does consider them to be his close friends. Big Mike drops by the nerd herd desk to say that he can't go to the party because Bologna has forbidden it due to, I guess, the fact that he's a gambling addict, which is a (laughs) joke that this show loves. It's been a punchline twice in in this season. (laughs) He loves to gamble. He loves to gamble. I guess maybe too much. Uh, Meanwhile, Casey is really excited to hit the shooting range and has brought his own printouts of Osama bin Laden, who... So, I found an article, (laughs) I googled this episode, and um, this is from TV Line. It's by a writer named Matt Webb Mitrovich, um, and it says, Did Chuck get off the best shot at bin Laden? And uh, the article goes on to say, yes. This is the funniest joke. Um, on network television at this point, which is shortly after the death of Bin Laden, is that would that be correct to say? I what I saw online was that this aired on the because they got Bin Laden on a Sunday, and okay. this aired the Monday right after that Sunday. So like twenty four hours later, they had pretty this incredible. Gag. Do you think? I mean, I have to ask. Do you think this was intentional? Do you think this was planned? Like, do you think that like they knew that Bin Laden was going to be killed that day and? Like the the SEAL Team Six and President Obama were just waiting to get the green light from Josh Schwartz to to kill Osama bin Laden. I think this goes all the way to the top, Chris. It's, there's got to be. I mean, there's no way that this is just a coincidence that they. I mean, if anything, I guess it kind of makes this episode of Chuck kind of outdated because. But no, it just makes it even more relevant because Casey wants to shoot at Osama bin Laden like he's in SEAL Team Six. Well, this article. Um suggests that maybe Casey was present for the killing of Osama bin Laden. Whoa. So, re-Big Mike's problem, Morgan says he won't stand for this because men take what's theirs. He then encourages Big Mike to yell at his mom and then lie to her, (laughs) which Big Mike says is the greatest thing a white person's ever done for him. So, just gonna leave that one right there. Back in the complex, Sarah is in the bath, and Chuck is preparing to leave for his party. They discuss the situation with Ellie and the laptop. Chuck comments that Ellie's always been into puzzles, which I guess is fair, although, can you think of any examples of Ellie being into puzzles? I guess we haven't seen her solving any puzzles, but I feel like it is aligned with her character. Yeah, it's it's fair enough. It just kind of felt like when uh, Marty McFly can't be called chicken in Back to the Future 2, when they're just kind of like backpedaling this huge character detail. But I guess it's fine. Sarah suggests that Chuck talk to Devin about Ellie's work on the laptop and kind of confront Devin about having lied about everything. And Chuck thinks that Vegas will be the perfect place to do this. Before heading out, though, Chuck heads over to Ellie's. She's working on the computer when he knocks, but she hides it and lies, saying that she was reading a book. Chuck knows that she's lying and Ellie knows that she's lying. Also, I don't know if they know that the other one knows that they're lying, whatever. It's it's all secrets. Devin drops in and tells Chuck he's going to make a man out of him, which kind of wish he broke into my favorite song from Mulan, but that didn't happen. In Utah, or wherever they are right now, Jasmine and Riley get a signal on the tracker that says the computer is in Echo Park. Oh no, they're going to come find it. I don't know what they were doing that whole time since they found the tracker. Like, I don't know why it takes them this long. So after the credits, we're treated to another Kesha sequence, also with the song Blow, as Devin drives a limo slash party bus with a stripper pole and whatnot towards Vegas. 
Usually I feel like you hire a limo with a driver. So I don't know why the company is just trusting this man to drive their giant, like, Hummer. But, you know, whatever. Do you need a special kind of license to operate a limousine? I mean, okay, so honestly, I do feel like Devin would have that. I guess so. I mean, I guess you would also save money if they're like, so you can have the package that comes with the limo and the driver, or for less money, we'll give you just the car. You have to drive it yourself. And most people would be like, no, that's insane. But Devin would be like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And okay. So driving that's, it um, that's a declassified scene that we're just including for you that we wrote ourselves. You're welcome. So Lester makes it rain with coins, which I thought was a pretty funny gag. He says Mm -hmm. it's some sort of Canadian thing called making it snow. Big Mike comments how he loves Vegas and they'd better be ready to not sleep for a long time. Back in L.A., Ellie explains that she's taking Sarah to a spa in Santa Barbara, which I got excited about because I was there two weeks ago today. Oh. I I, I mean, not at a spa. I saw a spa, but I, I was in Santa Barbara. It's a beautiful city. Ellie tells Sarah, get ready for some hardcore aromatherapy. And Sarah is a little disappointed, I guess, because she was hoping for something more exciting. Kind of seems like this would be Sarah's speed, but that's fine. Well, I started, I was a little disappointed because I'm like, oh, Chuck gets to do this whole thing with like a bunch of people and Sarah just gets stuck with Ellie at a spa. That's a little disappointing. Well, OK. Devin parks the limo and tells everybody to get ready. He then takes them out and we see that they're not really in Las Vegas. They're in some sort of rural area. Devin points to a sign and it says Las Vegas with a C. He's, <laughs> apparently this whole time he's been saying Las Vegas. And it's a, a state park that has hiking and fishing and stuff. Everybody seems kind of disappointed except for Jeff, who apparently knew all along that they were heading to Las Vegas and he loves it there. He's very excited. So uh, I guess, listener, I uh, you should know that Las Vegas is not a real park. I was under the impression that it was real this entire time. And I'm just now discovering based on Google that Las Vegas is not a real place. So I feel dumb. Uh, I mean, you know, you don't spend a lot of time in Nevada. It's true. I don't. It does look very legit. It looks like yeah. a real sign. I believe it. Las Vegas sounds like a nice name for a state park. Yeah, But no, not real. No. So meanwhile, Ellie brings Sarah across the way to her own apartment, and it's full of women! Ellie explains she couldn't contact the cat squad, but she invited a few of the Wienerlicious girls? Did this- did this shock you? I want more information on that. Perhaps a spinoff? This shook me to my core. (laughs) This is a massive- I don't care about what happens with Agent X later in this episode. This is the bomb that goes off in this episode. Other Wienerlicious girls? (laughs) What? Sarah had other co-workers at the Wienerlicious that weren't Scooter. This changes everything. Yes. Aaron, I think we need to stop recording and go back and start rewatching from episode one. <laughs> I think we do. With this knowledge now. Oh my god, yes. I was I was very shocked. I was very shook. I had to rewatch this twice to make sure I heard Ellie correctly. I did. I had to take a cold shower. <laughs> I had to go for a walk and just clear my head. I had to... Have a glass of water. Yep. Same here. Uh, Sarah is happy again, although based on her subsequent interactions with the guests, she knows no one there. We never really see her talking to anybody except for one person who we will get to later. Um, Also, she gets a text from Beckman saying that the location of Steven's laptop has been compromised. 
I thought that Beckman was just making that up because she was pissed that she didn't get invited to Sarah's <laughs> bachelorette party and she was trying to ruin it. Okay, that would have been amazing. I'm sure, like, they didn't want to, like, pay her to be in it, but it would have been amazing if Beckman, was, like, showed up and was, like, in the corner or if she went, like, absolutely wild. Yeah, I was doing, like, a keg stand. Yeah, that would have been really cool. So back in Las Vegas, despite the fact that it's his bachelor party and he's clearly a little bummed, Chuck is trying to convince everyone to enjoy the party on Devin's behalf since he worked really hard on it. Lester and Big Mike aren't convinced and hatch a plan of their own. So now we're back at Sarah's party and we're gonna uh, we're gonna meet an important character who, again, I would like a spinoff about, who tells Sarah, "You were the best wiener girl." I I mean, as far as I can tell, she did bring a lot of customers to the Wienerlicious um, uh-huh. in the form of teenage boys. Yeah. However, she also did spend a lot of time making out with Chuck in the closet. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it kind of evens out since we haven't seen any of these wiener, these other wiener girls in action. We can't really say whether or not Sarah was better or worse than them. Mm-hmm. But that just drives home the fact that we need a spinoff about the Wienerlicious. Yeah, it, this this line is said as a passing line, I think. Uh-huh. Someone just says, oh, you were the best wiener girl. Like, yeah. But what what is it? The implications are so vast. What does it mean to be a good wiener girl? Here we were thinking that Sarah was the only wiener girl, but there's more. Yeah, like well, because her. we thought that Sarah like bought this establishment and then hired Scooter <laughs> right. to be the other employee so as not uh, to arouse suspicion. Correct. But in fact, if that is the case, she hired all of these other women as well. Now I'm just so confused. I know. We need to we need to get Josh Schwartz on the line right now and ask him. I know. There's so many things we need to ask him. Spe- specifically if he knew that there was <laughs> going to be a raid on Osama bin Laden <laughs> the night before this episode aired. Yes. These are two uh, equally important questions. <laughs> so Sarah calls Chuck to ask where Ellie keeps the computer, but she's interrupted when Ellie says that it's time to uh, make Sarah a toilet paper bride. I don't know if you're familiar with this as a thing that happens at bridal showers or just uh, Girl Scout sleepovers, because that's where I've done it. Um, But the premise of this is to use toilet paper to make a wedding dress. Although it seems like in the subsequent scene that Ellie is the only one doing this. All of the other women at the party are just elsewhere, like talking and drinking while Ellie like wraps toilet paper around Sarah. Mm -hmm. But she does make a really nice bow, I have to say. I don't know if you noticed that, but there's like a bow in Sarah's hair. It looks really good. Yeah, pretty solid. So while Ellie is doing that, Sarah takes the opportunity to explain that the location of the laptop may have been compromised and Ellie is suitably alarmed. Sarah and Ellie head back across the way to Ellie's apartment while Riley and Jasmine are apparently sneaking into wherever the laptop is currently. And Sarah and Ellie realize that Devin must have taken Ellie's bag. Oh no! They head back into the courtyard when they hear a scream and then they see that some agent type men in combat gear are there. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden these men just rip off their clothes right in the courtyard and begin to give Sarah a lap dance, which once again, um, it seems very unfair of the Bartowskis and Woodcombs and Casey, et cetera, et cetera, to be monopolizing this courtyard. But now I think they've taken it a step too far because they are uh, having sexually explicit dances with naked men occurring right there on the fountain. I don't think anybody else in this complex signed up for that. <laughs> There is the nudity again that we were There's told. There's the nudity again. We were warned about it. Um, I saw, I don't know if you saw online, but according to an interview that I guess Sarah Lancaster did with IGN around uh-huh. this time, mm-hmm. she said that the scene took a very long time to film because of all the different logistics and 
Apparently, Yvonne was very uncomfortable the entire time because the exotic dancers kept going like harder and harder at it for each subsequent take of it until we arrive at what we see in uh, in the episode, which is that they're they're very up in her space. <laughs> they are. And there's a lot of them. Usually, like, I feel like usually in Bachelor or Bachelorette party sequences, it's like one or maybe two dancers. But like mm-hmm. having four men thrusting their hips around you while you're sitting down yeah. seems like it might be a lot for anyone to handle. Yeah, but I mean, as we know, Sarah is used to handling wieners, so. <laughs> good, good joke. So despite the urgency of the situation with the laptop, once the strippers arrive, Ellie is just kind of like, woo, Sarah, get it, and doesn't really <laughs> care that their lives may be in danger. <laughs> Now's the time to let loose. It's true. But fortunately, Jasmine and Riley track the signal not to Echo Park, as they said before, but to Las Vegas, and they begin looking for the laptop in Chuck's camp. Chuck and Devin are on a hike, though not really that far from their camp since they can still kind of see it. And Chuck suggests that they talk man to man. He tells Devin that he knows Ellie is still working on the laptop, and Devin apologizes for lying to Chuck. Chuck says these secrets are tearing the family apart. Just then, Casey appears and points out the bad guys going through their camp. They see Riley find the laptop, and Devin realizes the switcheroo that must have happened with him and Ellie's luggage. Riley orders his men to leave no witnesses. So at this point, Jeff arrives. Uh, he wasn't, he, I guess he was on his own uh, little hike. He was very excited to reach uh, Las Vegas. Uh, he was the only one who was excited to reach it. He seems to be familiar with it, uh, specifically the magic mushrooms that are available in different parts of the forest. So Jeff has apparently taken some of these and he comes back to the camp to um, ask Riley if he's there for the bachelor party. And then Jeff sees Jasmine and assumes that she's a exotic dancer and offers her a single dollar bill, at which point she pushes him aside. It seems like Jeff is going to be in trouble as Chuck, Devin, Morgan and Casey watch this. Morgan fills Devin in on who Vivian Volkov is because Riley's say loudly said earlier, this is what Vivian Volkov wants. Devin asks about Agent X, and Chuck says that he thinks he's probably Agent X. Back down at the camp, the, the uh, <laughs> so I didn't catch when they said, did they say Jasmine's name at any point in this, or did you just know Jasmine's name from looking it up online? Um, I don't think that they say it. I think it just, like, was, um, it was, like, a subtitle thing that said, like, Jasmine when she was speaking. So I think that's why I know. I didn't know her name the entire episode, so I kept referring to her as the ghost lady because I figured that <laughs> if Riley was a ghost, then she also is probably a ghost because she's interacting with Riley. I'll accept that. I felt that she was kind of similar to um, Nicole Richie's character. Okay. I felt that they kind of had a similar vibe and I kind of wanted to see them like either interact or fight. That was just something that I thought about her. Yeah, I feel like she sort of has a similar vibe to um, the... Uh, I forget her name or what episode that she was in. The one with Rowan Montgomery, the uh, the head of that rogue nation of female soldiers. All right, I can see that. Fatima. Uh, yes, yes. So I will try to say Jasmine, but if I refer to the ghost lady listener, I am referring to Jasmine. I apologize. Uh, so Jasmine ties up Jeff at the campsite and rips open his shirt, furthering his belief that this is part of an adult entertainment performance. Riley, meanwhile, is pleased to see that the encryption has already been broken on the Orion laptop and starts to transmit the data to Vivian. He instructs Jasmine to either make Jeff talk or make him never talk again. Thankfully, Jasmine apparently knows um, that one 
time that villain who is in season one in Chuck versus the truth that had the truth serum because she takes out a giant needle full of some kind of truth serum (laughs) and she injects it into Jeff, much to his delight. It was truth serum, right? We never see Jeff telling the truth at any point. No, we don't. We there's no like <laughs> subsequent. I feel like what the episode is trying to imply is that it interacts with the mushrooms that he passes out. Okay. But it seems like Jasmine's job was a failure if she then didn't get him to talk. Right. Cause I couldn't tell if he was saying, Oh, I don't think that's going to mix with what I'm on, or if he said that will mix nicely with what I'm on. Yeah, well, he seems happy about it, so I feel like maybe the second one. Yeah. So Morgan watches this and confuses Jeff's cries of pleasure for pain. At this point, one of Riley's men slowly approaches Chuck Morgan and Devin, and they all crap in their pants just a little bit. (laughs) Fortunately, Casey has gone all stealthy commando and jumps out and attacks the armed guard. This scares Chuck Morgan and Devin, and Casey explains that he's done reconnaissance and that he thinks they're dealing with mercenaries who are former Green Berets. Turns out Casey has formulated a plan during this time. He's going to go back into the woods and um, like stalk the Green Berets while Devin and Morgan fashion spears out of branches using hunting knives that he's provided. And Chuck goes down to rescue Jeff. Nobody's thrilled about this plan, but Casey disappears into the woods before anyone can object. Uh, then we have a, a bona fide declassified scene. Ah. Casey uses the walkie-talkie of the guard he just killed to tease Riley, saying that he wants to try out the guns that Riley's team brought to the campsite and that Riley would make for good target practice. Riley, perturbed by this, tells his men to fan out and find and kill Casey. Little does Casey know that Riley would not make for good target practice because he is made out of 100% vapor because he's a ghost. (laughs) He's a a phantom. He's a, a spirit. He's, you can't it's hurt true. him with bullets. No, you can't. <laughs> Back at the Hummer limo, Big Mike and Lester are using the navigation system to try to find the nearest casino. Lester is fine um, with staying in like the general area of Las Vegas, just going to a nightclub. But Big Mike will not settle for anything less than the actual Las Vegas. Big Mike just wants to take the car and leave all the others behind. But Lester insists that they could die out there. Big Mike tells him to stop being overly dramatic, to which Lester reveals that he really only cares about Jeff. The two then engage in a back and forth over whether or not to leave or to stay. And they like turn the car on and off in the process. I thought that because like the headlights turn on and off, I thought that there was going to be like a bit or something that they were accidentally doing Morse code with Uh the lights. And like Mm -hmm. Riley was going to see that and Mm -hmm. that he'd be scared off or something like that. Uh That would have been a good a good joke. Thank you. It's not the case and it is not relevant at all, but it was no. the thought that I had. As Morgan and Devin whittled their little spears, um, that sounds like innuendo, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan gets a splinter, um, which is a sharp juxtaposition of the toughness that Casey is displaying 10 yards away from them as he shoots a mercenary with a silenced pistol like Solid Snake. Devin asks Morgan if he's ever killed a man before, and Morgan says, uh, Morgan makes it seem like he has. But when pressured, Morgan says that he was being sarcastic since Team Bartowski doesn't even let him touch the gun. Uh, Casey continues to silently take down the mercenaries that are approaching Devin and Morgan, all while Devin questions the ethics of a doctor knowingly killing people in the woods. Morgan insists that it's just what they have to do if they want to survive. When Casey sneaks up on them, Morgan and Devin point their spears at him. And he explains that the spears were just a distraction to keep Devin and Morgan out of the way and occupied. He's already taken care of all the mercenaries. Down at the camp, Chuck is hiding in a bush watching Riley. Riley tries paging one of his men over the walkie-talkie, but Casey answers again instead. 
Riley decides that he has to kill Casey himself, leaving the ghost lady, aka Jasmine, to kill <laughs> Jeff, who is apparently uh, still unconscious, not telling the truth. He's just out. Jasmine takes out a hunting knife to attack Jeff. When she sees Chuck's reflection in this knife, I mean, this is a very clean knife. This is like a brand yes. new, sparkling clean reflective either knife. brand new or like she washes it religiously right which is a good practice to have i mean if you know i guess you know if you're stabbing people and getting a lot of blood on the knife you don't want to transmit any kind of like blood diseases to different that makes people. sense yeah mm-hmm. so i guess that's pretty considerate you should always clean your your stabbing knives i guess so jasmine turns around and she and chuck have a mini sexy sarah showdown minus the sarah part chuck flashes on close quarter knife avoidance combat but Jasmine manages to overpower him anyway. She pins Chuck down against the picnic table, leaving him no choice but to use the Orion laptop as a shield. She stabs through the knife right through it and is going for Chuck's face when Casey appears and knocks her out. He then uses uh, her knife to cut Jeff free. As this is happening, Riley realizes that his entire team has been compromised, so he tells any remaining members to meet him back at the extraction point. Speaking of extraction... Chuck, Morgan, and Casey and Devin bring a semi-conscious Jeff back to the limousine. Lester asks them what's going on, and Devin says that Jeff is having a bad trip and they need to get him out of Las Vegas immediately. Big Mike and Lester are beyond relieved by this, and the limo rolls out. We cut to a commercial, and when we return, Chuck and Devin are returning back to the apartment complex. Sarah is still up and dressed when they return, so I'm not sure how late it is. Was this confusing to you at all? Uh, I was a little confused. I kind of thought it was maybe the next day. But does that make sense? Like if Sarah was just getting back from her party? Well, Sarah's wearing the same outfit as she was during the bachelorette party. So they weren't at Las Vegas for a very long time? I guess not. I don't know how long it takes to get there. Right. Like Vegas is like six hours, so it. I feel like it, for them to not get suspicious, it would have had to have been something similar. So anyhow, Sarah is uh, she's still up and she's worried sick because her Las Vegas contacts hadn't been able to find all of the guys. Chuck explains what happened, and then they all decide that things could have been a lot worse had Devin grabbed the correct suitcase. The three of them decide that they need to tell Ellie the truth about what's going on, and subsequently, the truth about Chuck and the intersect. The next morning, Ellie is surprised to see Chuck home already. He explains that they need to talk. Although he feels he and Ellie can talk to each other about anything, he feels like there have been some barriers and secrets that have been preventing this lately. Ellie admits that she's been working on Steven's laptop, to which Chuck says he already knows. Ellie is confused about what other secrets could still be like at foot then, but then realizes that Chuck must still be a spy, much to Chuck's frustration. Ellie is not surprised by this and is just mad that Chuck didn't tell her earlier. Ellie says, no more secrets then, to which Chuck says uh, something to the effect of not quite. I felt that um, in this back half of the season, no more secrets has become the new it's complicated. Oh, yeah? I, I feel that they've said it a lot. They do discuss it a lot, and they don't uh, They don't seem to mean it when they say it. So we cut to Ellie standing in Castle. That's right. Ellie's in Castle. I really liked this scene. I thought this was kind of sweet. It might yeah. have just been that like an indie song was playing, but it was nice to see her. It felt a long time coming, or at least the show thought it was a long time coming. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a long time coming. Chuck removes his hand from her eyes, and she looks around, seeing the rest of Team Bartowski. Ellie is amazed by Castle and asks what they're protecting, to which Chuck says, me. He explains that he has the intersect in his head already and asks Morgan to attack him with a katana sword. Morgan complies and Chuck flashes on samurai sword work and cuts, takes the, the sword away from Morgan and then cuts the sleeves off of Morgan's shirt in a very dramatic fashion. It's very exciting. 
Uh, Ellie is blown away by all this and can't believe that Steven invented the intersect uh, that like actually works when she notices Steven's laptop with a knife hole stabbed through it. Ellie explains that she needed the computer to find Agent X. Chuck thinks that he's Agent X, but Ellie insists that Agent X was an intersect agent in the 1980s. According to Ellie, Steven uploaded a new identity into an agent so the agent could go fully undercover, but then the downloaded identity took over and the original agent was lost. Steven felt so bad about this that he spent the rest of his life trying to undo his mistake. This is news to Team Bartowski, and nobody knows what to make of it. Ellie bemoans the fact that they'll never get to the bottom of what happened without Steven's laptop being intact, but Chuck reminds everyone that before he was the Intersect, he was a nerd herder. That's right, Chuck's going to fix the computer. Woo! Chuck's knowledge outside of the Intersect, it comes in handy sometimes and makes you <laughs> feel good. That's a great song. Speaking of the nerd herd, Jeff Lester and Big Mike are returning to the Bymore, seemingly uh, recovered from their big night out in Las Vegas. They apparently all still have the day off and decided to work anyways because they have nothing better to do. As they enter the store, Big Mike realizes that he's not just the assistant manager of the Burbank Bymore. He's Rain from Earth, Wind, Fire, and Rain. And Rain is not one to waste a perfectly good party pass from Bologna. He tells Jeff and Lester to pull up his Toyota Corolla because they're going to a city that makes Vegas look like child's play. Reno, Nevada, a.k.a. the Big Dirty. <laughs> Speaking of people with time on their hands and apparently nothing better to do, Morgan and Ellie sit idly by watching Chuck attempt to fix the Orion computer. Uh, it looks very boring, but things get much more exciting when Chuck succeeds and gets the laptop back online. They're immediately able to pull up all of the Agent X files, which are all redacted aside from the agent's original name, which is Hartley. I guess it's first name, yeah. Yeah. Sarah and Casey come over and say that one name is not much to go off of, but Ellie says that she found something else as well and pulls up the photo of the old house from before. Chuck flashes on the photo and says that it is a manor in Somerset, England. Ellie is impressed by the intersect and Chuck notices a timestamp on the bottom corner of the photograph, November 12th, 1980, a week before Agent X went missing. Casey and Sarah toss out some reasons for why the agent would have taken the photo and what the house could be or what could represent. Casey, Sarah, and Morgan share an understanding glance and get to work. Ellie asks what's going on, and Chuck says that they need to hurry because they're not the only ones looking for Agent X. Ellie says that she wants to come too, but Chuck won't let her because of baby Clara, which I guess could be seen as kind of sexist, but is pretty valid nonetheless. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, not that you, Ellie can't do things because she's a woman or a mother, but she shouldn't have to, you know? Like, what if something happens? That's true, and like, who is watching? I mean... I think they say that they dropped Clara off at Devin's parents, which again, where do Devin's parents live? Very uh -huh. unclear. Did they bring her to Connecticut? Did they bring her to another part of California? We don't know. But yeah, she um, she and Devin should be there for their young child. Devin is also not in the back half of this episode while all of this castle stuff is going on. Yeah. Which I don't know if he's at work. I mean, it could have been too complicated to have him being like, well, I knew about all this stuff the entire time, babe. And then she would have been upset. So we cut to a commercial break, and when we return, we're in Somerset, England. That looks suspiciously uh, like someplace <laughs> in Southern California. It does. So once this was pointed out to me that obviously a lot of exteriors and different movies and TV things are in Los Angeles and Southern California, like mm -hmm. I can't unsee that now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, like I was watching The Office not too long ago, and they were mm -hmm. driving through Pennsylvania. I was like, this is clearly Southern California. Like why? How? Why was this like not that Southern California doesn't look like other, but it, there's just this like this you could tell with the hills and just uh -huh. like the terrain. 
things look like they California. Just trick your brain. I guess so. Uh, anyhow, we're tricked and we're in Somerset, England with Team Bartowski standing outside the house that's in the photo. This is, you know, the photo was taken 30 years ago. Doesn't really seem like the house is aged or changed nope, at all. Not at it's all. It's exactly the same. Uh, they don't know what to expect, but they approach the door anyway and knock. An older British woman whose name is Mrs. Weatherbottom. Uh, I, think, is I think it's Winterbottom. Winterbottom? Yeah, that's what I have. Well, well, that makes sense. I thought Weatherbottom was a strange name, so <laughs> I suppose Winterbottom makes more sense. Uh, anyway, she's played by Millicent Martin. She opens the door and Chuck tries to do his best to come up with a convincing British reason for them being there, but he fails. So Sarah steps in with a flawless British accent and says that they're having car troubles and would like to use the woman's phone. The woman is completely understanding and welcomes them in as they wait for the repair truck. Sorry, I said that in American. I guess I could have used all the British vernacular, but that would have sounded terrible. <laughs> I cannot do the accent without sounding like one of the Beatles. Well, we 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 do know that your Beatle accent is great. Oh, well, thank you. Um, maybe it's not. I, I I don't sound like one of the Beatles. I sound like one of the Beatles like that had a, like a lobotomy or something. But I appreciate it. I'm glad that you like it. Yeah, you're anytime. So Team Bartowski heads inside. And the first thing that we notice is that there are a lot of bunny figurines around. Just like a nice character detail about the Winterbottom house. Casey is nervous, wondering if Mrs. Winterbottom is Agent X and if she'll poison the tea she's making for them. Once Mrs. Winterbottom does come back with the tea, Sarah explains she is actually from Somerset and was taking Chuck on a tour while Casey is a hitchhiker they happen to pick up along the way. Sarah says she used to know the house's previous tenant, someone called Hartley. Mrs. Winterbottom says she knew him but doesn't know what happened to him, though he left behind a box of personal effects. She agrees to just give it to the team, though that's like, I don't know, I mean... On the one hand, if I had something in my house that wasn't mine and, I, like, someone came and could possibly take it away, I might just be like, here, take it. It's yours now. Mm -hmm. But it also yeah. just seems kind of weird that she'd just be like, yeah, uh, strangers who said, like, why does she think they'd even want that? Sarah isn't, like, my best friend lived here. She's like, oh, uh, what happened to the man who used to live here? <laughs> so um, Mrs. Winterbottom asks Chuck to help her and leads him into the hall. She says she's going to get a torch, which is British for a flashlight, ah. but comes back with a huge gun. Which is British for a gun. <laughs> she asks Chuck, what do you want with my son? Chuck explains he's with the CIA, but that only makes things worse for Mrs. Winterbottom because the CIA never helped her son. Then she finds out Chuck is Stephen's boy. She says Hartley was a scientist and apparently Stephen and Hartley were like, if not best friends, then, in, then just like very close friends in the 80s. She asks Chuck, are you going to fix my son? Somehow, though it's unclear how, Jasmine and Riley find the house too. I don't know if they're still able to track the laptop. I guess that's what we're supposed to conclude, but I don't know. They just end up there. They begin shooting first and asking questions later, and Casey starts shooting back. Once again, he announces that they are outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, and outplanned. Which is like a line that shows up a lot, I'm realizing. They also say it in Tom and Jerry which was surprising. <laughs> that they're outgunned and outmanned. Maybe it wasn't Tom and Jerry. I mean, it was Peaky Blinders. I watched both last night and I, I get them a little confused. I guess I would err on the side of it probably <laughs> being Peaky Blinders. <laughs> I admittedly haven't seen the new Tom and Jerry movie, so I don't know how things go. But if I just had to take a, take a guess, I would say it's Peaky Blinders. So Mrs. Winterbottom rushes into the living room and, and starts shooting at the bad guys with her gun, saying they're here to find Hartley's spy will, which is in the cellar. She tosses a key to Sarah while she and Casey banter about guns. 
Once Chuck and Sarah are gone, Mrs. Winterbottom takes another huge gun. It's like, this is like a, a machine gun with like ammo that you put in like a like a serious gun, you know? Yeah, it's like a Gatling gun. Yeah, she, she takes that out. Casey asks if she knows how to feed one of these types of guns. And she says, please, you're feeding me, which was a nice moment. Down in the cellar, Chuck and Sarah find the spy will. That's really all that happens. It looks kind of like the spy wills that were in the season of Aaron. Meanwhile, upstairs, Casey and Mrs. Winterbottom are continuing to bond. He tells her that she's like the mother he never had. She takes out a grenade and ties it with some, like, knitting yarn, and they uh, run out of the house. Once Riley's men, including Jasmine, walk into the house, blows by Kesha starts playing once again, and Mrs. Winterbottom pulls on the string, and the grenade explodes, killing everyone except Riley, who is already dead. And honestly, I was kind of into this. I don't know if it was just like, I mean, I don't I don't like seeing like people die, but I liked that Kesha was playing. I liked the explosion. It looked kind of good. Um, Riley runs away because once again, he is dead. So he is not harmed by the explosion. Mrs. Winterbottom laughs. She says that her son is just like Chuck and didn't care much for guns either. And Casey says, I love this woman. We're then treated to a road trip montage of Jeff, Lester and Big Mike driving to Reno, which is, in fact, seven and a half hours from L.A., Jeff is the last person to be driving. He announces that they've arrived and they get out of the car to see that they are not in Reno with an O, but Reno with a E-A-U-X. It's in <laughs> British Columbia. Big Mike attacks Jeff out of anger, but then they see a sign for a nearby, um, I guess, like, gambling and stakes place. I don't know if it's a restaurant or a casino, whatever it is. It says it has Canadian rules blackjack and everyone is once again back on board. Back in Castle, Ellie, Morgan, uh, Casey, Chuck, and Sarah opened the spy will. Chuck invited Ellie along because she thinks she should be there to see the reason why their whole family fell apart, which, I, I mean, I guess, like, Agent X is what Stephen was working on and why, I, I don't know, it, it seems like the ring was the ring. It's always the reason why their family fell apart, and this is just the latest one. Always these excuses. Excuses, yeah. excuses, excuses. So they find out that there was a man named Hartley Winterbottom who was a scientist. There is a uh, picture of him. They pull it out, turn it around, and oh my god, it's a hot young Timothy Dalton. Volkov is Hartley. What? He's Agent X. This is crazy. <sighs> Everyone freaks out. Sarah suggests they call Beckman right away to find out what their next move will be, but Casey pulls them all into the interrogation room, which I guess isn't monitored, and says that the CIA has pushed this under the rug and will kill them all for knowing something like this. Because I guess the, the CIA created one of the uh, worst arms dealers in the world, so they don't want that to get out. Mm. Everyone realizes that this is true, so they have to pretend not to know. We cut to a nice little scene between Chuck and Ellie, where Chuck suggests that the real mission was the friendship they made along the way, or at least uh, no longer having secrets between them and working together. Ellie isn't really convinced by this and thinks that maybe Stephen intended them to find and fix Agent X. She says maybe it's not for the CIA to do, it's for them specifically. We then move to Casey, who is carrying the spy will. He puts it in what I assumed was going to be an incinerator, but it might just be like some kind of secret file box thing in a disused part of Castle. I don't know. He puts it there, shuts the door, and that is where the episode ends. He puts it in the cool kids corner, though, right? Yeah, it is the cool kids corner. Yeah. So that is Chuck versus Agent X. There it is. What a what a crazy trip. Yeah. Um, so 
Reno, British Columbia, British Columbia would be what, like a 20 hour drive from Los Angeles? Because you'd have to go up the entire coast. See, it was kind of funny because like it seemed like that road trip was lasting a really long time. Uh Um, But let's see how far from L.A. to what do you want to say? Vancouver? Is that British Columbia? Yeah. Um, 20 hours and seven minutes. Wow. So I guessed correctly. You did. Wow. Wow. Pretty so, impressed. yeah. So, yes, it would be a very long trip and perhaps would take up most of the um, day off that they still have. <laughs> but they make it there and they're happy. Yeah. So I'm glad that we made it to this part of the episode and I'm happy. It's Chuck, Mary, Kill, where we take one part of this episode that we'd like to marry and one part of this episode that we would like to kill. Aaron, what would you like to marry this week? I really enjoyed Casey's having a chance to bond with Mrs. Winterbottom. I think a lot of times when we have these scenes of Casey bonding with a female character, it is sort of like implying like maybe Casey's going to be romantic, something like that. I liked this kind of like platonic, like respectful relationship between Casey and this older woman. I liked the um, like bait and switch of like that Mrs. Winterbottom is the one who's going to be shooting the gun, that she is kind of like using her like elderly British woman charm of like using knitting needles and having bunnies and like being kind of a sweet old woman, but also is like a total badass. I thought she was fun. And I liked that Casey and her bond. I too uh, want to marry Mrs. Winterbottom. Ah! I think, you know, quite frankly, you know, you said that there wasn't any romantic tension, but I I don't know. You don't know what Casey's feeling. I mean, that's true. I would support it. Yeah, no, I think Casey, um, you know, seems like he has a lot that he can bond with. Uh, with Mrs. Weather Winterbottom, mm-hmm. sorry, mm-hmm. not Weatherbottom. I mean, w- winter weather is a thing. I see why you're getting confused. Casey, I could see being with you know maybe he needs to be with an older woman. Maybe he would be able to relate to them better. Um, I guess he'd become Volkov's stepdad in that case, <laughs> which would be interesting. It just it's a very confusing um array of things. I also have to wonder. I mean, maybe this is something that we'll get into later, but. If Stephen and um, Hartley were good friends, wouldn't Mary have known Hartley? Does she, does she know about Agent X? I would think so, but I guess we'll have to stay tuned to find out. I guess so. I, like, I w- it would explain why Mary was the agent who was on this mission and doing the whole Volokhov thing and like why she was so committed to it the entire time. But it but. is kind of interesting to think about, like, it must be it must have been very hard for her to have been like relentlessly hit on by her husband's best friend who is no longer her husband's best friend. Very confusing. That's true. Um, I think just a note about Mrs. Winterbottom, I thought that as a character, like she really elevated the whole scene and provided this kind of adrenaline kick for that like last act of the because I feel like we don't always get that. Sometimes the third acts don't mm-hmm. like it's kind of a ballsy choice to introduce a character and then have them be a big role and yeah. have it actually pay off. But mm-hmm. I feel like it did. And I did. Uh, I did think it was delightful. And I appreciated what they had of the turning this British cottage upside down into this crazy spy, like secret guns and grenades and all that stuff. So yeah, I agree. I thought that was good. Great, Mary. What would you like to kill? So what I would like to kill or blow, as Kesha would say. Um, Whoa. I think that while I enjoyed most of this episode and was pretty cool with Jasmine as a character, even though she didn't have a lot to do, the fact that we actually got a shot down her shirt at the beginning was just a little um, 
Back up to the tricks of earlier seasons. I didn't think it was necessary. I think that if they wanted to have the guard leer at her and um, be like taken in by her sexuality, that's fine. But I didn't think we needed to be complicit in it. So I would just uh, it's one one little shot. Just get rid of that. Yeah, I mean, I also would like to kill how critically underdeveloped and over-sexualized Jasmine yeah. is because mm-hmm. uh, they didn't even, if you were not watching without subtitles, uh, you wouldn't know her name. Yeah. Uh, she just really serves as something to be uh, oodled at while Riley's doing his thing. Yeah. We don't, granted, we're not going to get a fully developed henchman character for one episode. Like, if she's introduced at the beginning, there's no reason that she's going to be fully fleshed out in mm-hmm. three dimensions by the end, but I thought it was pretty bad. I thought they could have at least not been so over-sexualized. Yeah, I agree. So I guess we're pretty in sync with our Marys and Kills this week. I guess so. Let's see if we're in sync in this next part, which I... We call it the scooter scale. It's based off of the Wienerlicious, but now I'm wondering, like, do we have to change it? Like, because there's other women at the Wienerlicious? There's other Wiener girls? What the is Wiener this? girl scale? What is the, What are the implications for the scooter scale here, you know? It's a, it's a good question. Um, we're going to have to consider it. I think that it will take a little bit longer than just the end of this episode can offer. So maybe we'll have an answer next week. Okay. Just well, a lot of reflection. I think I'm going to have to drive into the desert myself and kind of look at the stars and think about it. I think I'm going to need a lot of reflection in the form of that really shiny knife. I think I'm just going to look at that <laughs> knife, look at my reflection in the knife for a long time. Uh, well, I'll kick things off. I will give it four corn dogs out of five wow i enjoyed this episode i mm-hmm. think that the volikov is agent x reveal is is kind of telegraphed once we learned that agent x was a spy in the 80s and, yeah. and definitely once we learned that he's from the uk so i don't think it packs that much of a dramatic punch but i still think it's an interesting turn who could say if this was the original plan for volikov the entire time or if it's just something that they decided to retroactively include once they were given these extra episodes of the this back half of the season I think what makes this episode for me is the fact that Ellie finally gets roped into the truth about Chuck and the CIA. I think that's a huge milestone uh, for the series. And I feel like the show handled it pretty well. Like, I don't think they really dropped the ball or butchered it. I feel like it was pretty solid. Um, I enjoyed the bachelor and bachelorette party scenes enough. I thought they were like fine. I thought it was cool and kind of clever and different that we got to see the gang in the setting of the woods and kind of doing this like jungle combat mm-hmm. um, having Jeff and Lester there and big Mike was also a nice touch. And like I said, I enjoyed Mrs. Uh, Winterbottom. The whole sequence with her was, was fun. I thought it was a gem. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think the past few episodes have been kind of like in a funk. And I think this episode kind of digs us out from that. Not like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's like, wow, this episode was great, but I think mm-hmm. it was certainly better or stronger than the past three or four so Mm -hmm. i'm interested in seeing where things go from here so i am going to actually agree with you i also gave this episode a four what wow that's very crazy um after i finished this episode i was thinking about it it hits so many beats like so much Mm -hmm. happens in this episode and unlike some of the previous episodes where that's made it feel kind of cluttered like i thought that this episode there were some problems like the jasmine and riley having the tracking device was very convenient, but I yeah. totally agree that there were so many locations, there were so many beats, and it all fit together relatively seamlessly. I totally agree about how complicated it is to introduce a character so late in the episode and have her work. And I think Winter Mrs. Winterbottom really like took on that role. I think that there was a good amount of humor, there was a good amount of like excitement. 
Um, and the, like, over-sexualization of Jasmine aside, like, I think that this was a fun episode, and it was emotional. I like, I agree that I like that Ellie was brought into the fold once and for all. I think that's exciting, and I think this seems like a good way to, um, like, a good plotline to close out the season. So, four corndogs. And I think the, um, you know, they... With the Bachelor and Bachelorette party, obviously things could have taken a turn for the worse based off uh-huh. of what we've seen in previous yes. uh, mm-hmm. Bachelor parties mm-hmm. on Chuck. But it seems that they've learned their lesson after that. Uh, just like we will learn a lesson now with our lessons of the week. Ah! Where we share what we learned from this episode. Aaron, what did you learn? So I learned that when you can't afford to shoot in Vegas or Reno, just make that part of the joke. I thought that the Las Vegas sea, uh, set kind of looked a lot like Ethiopia and also Thailand in some ways. Yeah, yeah, it did. And maybe outside of Stephen's cabin, all of those, yeah. all of those locales you know, the woods. All look kind of similar. The woods. The SoCal woods. What about you? This week, I learned that not only is Riley a ghost, but he's also apparently cursed to watch all of his loved ones <laughs> die in front of him without being able to help them. Like, he must have done some real messed up shit during his life to receive (laughs) such a cruel form of torture in his afterlife. Like, he's constantly on the outside. Like, all of his friends constantly are dying. He survives. He has to watch them. He's constantly fleeing. And I feel bad for him. It's actually very interesting. Um, I think he deserves a spinoff. Maybe him and the Wienerlicious girls can be on a spinoff together or it's two Uh, separate spinoffs. Because I would think, you know, obviously we were joking before in the versus the first Bank of Evil episode that Riley was a ghost. That's obviously a fun little theory to have, a fun little joke. But I don't think this episode really disproved it. No! The only time anyone interacts with him, Jasmine interacts with him, and Casey interacts with him over the radio. I don't think anyone ever interacts with him face to face. Right. So maybe he's like some kind of ghost that can only talk to troubled young women because he can talk ah, to Vivian mm-hmm. and he can talk to Jasmine. And then maybe the walkie talkie is like, you ever, you ever watch like uh, ghost adventures or any kind of those ghost hunting TV shows? I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Sometimes ghosts can communicate over like, yeah, they have like the, they could talk over the radio yeah. waves or something like that. I think so that's, that's true. Like maybe um, Riley hired those men and gave them like specific, like ghost radio things. Maybe. Yeah. I, I am not, I was ready for this episode to prove that Riley was a, a definitely a human being that was alive, but I don't no. think it has I, it I think the evidence. Yeah. My hypothesis, our hypothesis <laughs> still stands. Yes, it does. Wow. We are just, uh, we're almost at the end of season four. There's only two episodes after this. It's crazy. It's crazy. I guess uh, the following two episodes will probably be Chuck versus Agent Y and then Chuck versus Agent Z. Yes, of course, because um, there's been 26 episodes this season and it has been A through Z. Yeah, I mean, not not entirely off, but I think it will be interesting. Until then, this is Chris Gillespie reminding you that food is sexy. Miss Erin Arata letting you know that anything is possible, even there being more women in the Wienerlicious. Tell us more! Tell us more, Josh Schwartz. What does it mean? Did you know that Osama bin Laden was going to die <laughs> on that day? Please, Josh Schwartz, tell us. Fill us in on all of your secrets. Or do you think it's Chris Vidak? Which one of them do you think is the, the omnipotent? Oh, this is a, a big question. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. 
you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at go check yourself podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to go check yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.